Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore. I hope that you're ready to dissect popular mottos, mantras and metaphors, tracing their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. Each week we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. Today's guest is Chantal Cody, chocolatier, author and businesswoman. She's the founder of the famous brand Rococo Chocolates. Cody's contribution to culinary art is such that in 2014, she was made OBE by the Queen for services to chocolate making. Exciting, right? In today's episode, we'll discuss the meaning of the expression, and this is um, a tricky one. If your aunt had balls, she would be your uncle. Although funny at first, or even weird, you might think, we'll see that this saying goes far back in time, from the Napoleonic Wars to our days. We'll see how this sentence has been used to refute hesitations and sophisms, but also how it is slowly starting to become obsolete. In order to know when the expression was for the first time officially used, we've got to go back to the early 19th century and more specifically to Saturday the 20th of August 1808. Indeed, the first written mention of this saying appears in a letter written by someone named Harry Homespun and published in the American newspaper The Republican and Savannah Evening Ledger. In this letter, Harry, an Englishman, denies the allegations, saying France, at the time ruled by Napoleon, could invade the UK. Some gentleman appears to be a little infected with the mania, so prevalent in certain circles, namely the fear of a French invasion. Do not be easy. The Corsican will not eat us yet. Bonaparte is letting blood 300 miles distant from us. We pity the fate of his victims, but yet can see no necessity to be alarmed at his approach so long as he makes retrograde movements. Even you have acknowledged that he can't get here so long as British oak floats upon old ocean. Since then, this barrier is sufficiently strong in itself. We, at any rate, have nothing yet to fear. But if this barrier should be broken down, what then would become of us? Aye, true. But if my aunt had been my uncle, what would have been her gender? That if is a most formidable word and often stands as a stumbling block in the way of many ambitious men. This text was published in 1808. That is to say five years after the war between France and Britain started. This context is important because it shows that if my aunt had been my uncle, what would have been a gender started as a laconism. A laconism is a blunt and concise statement. The term is named after Laconia, the Greek region of which Sparta was the capital city. Spartans, more than being well-known warriors, also had a reputation for verbal austerity and succinct remarks, as shown in the movie 300. Madness. This is Sparta! 
Therefore, laconisms are mostly used in times of war, not only today sayings, but many laconic phrases have passed to posterity. For example, in 1944, when American General Makoliff and his troops were surrounded by the Germans, the latter told them to surrender. Makoliff just replied with an iconic and concise message, nuts. Later, his battalion pushed the Germans back to their entrenchments and won the battle. It is also a recurring element in pop culture, for laconic sentences are omnipresent in books and movies, such as Bruce Willis's famous words in Die Hard. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. But what does all this have to do with today's expression, you might ask? Well, by focusing on laconisms, we can notice that all these blunt replies have purposes, assert dominance, but also reassure oneself about their aptitude to win. Therefore, the first use of, if your aunt had balls, she would be your uncle, shows that it was meant to refute the if of a potential British defeat previously expressed in the newspaper. It also helps the writer reassure his compatriots and maybe himself about a good ending for the British Army. Nowadays, even if it isn't used in such dire situations, the saying has kept its utility when it comes to dispute an if. We can, for example, hear it in the streets of Liverpool when a kid's thick accent combined with this funny saying quickly becomes an internet sensation. I don't know why people... Why are you laughing for? What, Chris, why are you laughing for? Why are you laughing for? I'm being serious. I'm being serious. No, you see, now you see, I'm talking facts here. I don't do if, buts and maybes. I do absolutes. And, you know, like if your aunt had balls, she'd be your uncle. But she doesn't, so she's not. Do you know what, do you know what I'm trying to say? But we can also find variants to this expression, derivatives often used in the English language, such as, if pigs had wings, they would fly. To be honest, any sentence that matches the feeling can be used, such as in 2010, when Chef Gino De Campo argued about his carbonara recipe. Do you know, it's, if it had, like, ham in it, Oh. <laughs> it's oh, no. it's closer. Oh, no. It's closer to a British carbonara. Oh no! It is. No, that's true. Oh well, fine. So I'm glad you're standing there. Do you there, agree? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean. If my grandmother had wheels, she would have been a bike. <laughs> you know what? You know. <laughs> you know what? You know, it doesn't make any sense what you said. It's a different recipe. It's got nothing to do with the macaroni cheese. You know what? Today we are honoured to receive Chantal Cody OBE. Not only is Chantal a successful chocolatier, author and businesswoman, she is also a human rights activist. Indeed, after her departure from Rococo Chocolates, she has founded another venture trading called The Chocolate Detective, focused on sourcing slavery-free chocolate. In 2021, Chantal was appointed co-chair of the Academy of Chocolate. Please welcome our guest. Chantal, so thank you for being a guest on Metaphorically Speaking. I'm so excited to meet you, even though we're not close together. Um, it's been really lovely reading about you and having you here as a guest. 
Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be joining you today. And as you say, it's it's sad we're not in person in the same room. But anyway, yeah, we'll have well, a great chat. Yes, well, that's life and that's the way of uh, communications nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, it is indeed. Yeah. All right. So for our listeners who don't know about you, could you just give us a little, I wouldn't even say a synopsis, just a little roundup of who you are and what you do? I'm Chantal Cody. I'm someone who's been involved in chocolate for a very, very long time. Um, I could say since I was a child, but um, I'm currently running a business called The Chocolate Detective. I am The Chocolate Detective, um, and it's all about getting up close and personal with chocolate, understanding exactly where it comes from, connecting back to the roots. Um, and before Chocolate Detective, I founded a company called Rococo Chocolates, but I'm no longer involved with that. So where did this love for chocolates happen? Well, I think it's actually really simple. I think it was being one of five children, the middle one, and never having enough chocolate around. I think my parents were quite strict probably about stuff like that. And I just always felt I didn't have enough. And so when I got an opportunity to work in a very fancy department store selling chocolate when I was a student, it was like a dream come true and a real revelation to me. And that's what started me on this journey of, uh, you know, setting up my own chocolate business and chocolate shop and investing in Cocoa Farm in Grenada. Which one is it? It's just across from Belmont Estate. There's a little bridge there. It was um, when I started working with Mott Green and the Grenada Chocolate Company. And in 2007, together with him and his mother, we invested in this little farm. And there's a small bridge that goes across from the, the road, across the I, river. I ask because although I haven't been to Grenada for a while, it's been ooh, maybe about six years since I've been to Grenada. Um, and I remember going to uh, a chocolate uh, factory. It was really interesting. Although I had been to one before, this one was just uh, different. I think it just felt, dare I say, intimate? It, it, yes, yes. Something, yes. Yes. I mean, there's that, the Grenada Chocolate Company was the very first company on the island that mm. started transforming beans into chocolate. So that, that was the revolutionary model to teach um, a cocoa farmer how to make the chocolate. So instead of just um, having a commodity of beans, which you're not paid much for, you can add all of that value in your little um, microeconomy. And, and since the Grenada Chocolate Company was set up, there have been another four on the island, most of which are very small. Um, one of them is quite big, but that got a lot of funding from USAID and from Switzerland, I believe. I think that um, over the years, chocolate has gone from strength to strength, not just by being a commodity that is looked as uh, being a, a treat or dessert, but in many ways, people are talking a lot about the health benefits of having chocolate. And I mean, I love, like most of people, I love chocolate, but I love cocoa tea. And I love mm. experimenting. Wherever it is, I go. Once they have the original cocoa tea, not chocolate milk or chocolate tea, whatever they want to call it, but the, the cocoa, the cacao, the whatever, the way, the, the natural form, I love to experiment the different ways of uh, using the chocolate and I, I can't I, I was amazed to see what the original or what the 
first stage of a cocoa pod looks like because I think you know growing up in England I was never shown the chocolate that that like that I was just shown it in the gift wrap you know yes yeah I can imagine same well same here but I think that's it's so different isn't it when you have something that as you say is much closer to the, the natural form but also without all the sugar and other additives yes yes and how did it feel when you um, received your OBE? Well, it was a massive um, surprise, first of all, and huge honour. But the, the funniest thing was I really didn't, um, I didn't know anything about it until this envelope arrived. I thought it was a parking ticket. And actually, I almost um, threw it in the bin. <laughs> and my husband said, no, I think you should look at that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had been quietly in the background supplying information like my passport and things that they needed but he didn't say anything um so anyway it's i think i i take it as a an honor for me and for all the people who've supported me because it's it's obviously they can only give it to one person in particular group mm -hmm. of people but I, I mean i huge credit to mock green to edmund brown and and Doug Brown to James, my husband, and the family, and all the people who I've, I've worked with, because it's you know you I'm not doing this alone. It's it's an incredible team effort. Yes, definitely. And I think when I read about people who you know receive these honors, I sometimes I always Google them because they're not always names that I would recognize. But then when I start reading about them. I realise that it is well deserved because it, it we can't always see the people in front of everything, you know. We see others, and then, as you rightly said, they're always, you know, a group of people. Most of the time, a group of people supporting us over the years. This didn't just happen. Mm. This is something that happened many, many, many years, and people don't sometimes uh, think of it that way. So, congratulations! Um, Thank you. On achievement but I have to say I was really surprised and happy when I saw your metaphor because I thought you had quite <laughs> a few selections it was just very difficult to even choose from them but this one I just thought oh what a chuckle I thought that said so much about your personality even though I hadn't met you so our metaphor is if your aunt had balls, she would be your uncle. <laughs> what made you think of that? Well, I think it's um, an old friend of mine used to say that to me whenever I would say if I could have done this or that or the other. And he would always come out with this expression <laughs> and it stopped me short. Um, but I think, it, you know, there's so many different ways you can think about it. But it, first of all, it's great because it just makes you stop and laugh and think about what it is you're saying. And then I guess it, for me, it reminds me that I shouldn't be saying if, if, if. Mm -hmm. I should just be getting on and doing things. Um, there's no point in regretting what you might have done. Um, I think in, in life, it's short. We just need to, to be positive and proactive as much as we can. No, definitely. You know, and as you were talking about if, it reminds me of a word that I always remember. And when people say it to me, I say it. I say it to them in a, I say it back to them and and tell them why I'm saying it back to them. And that word is just. And that's because I remember, oh, I must have been my late teens. 
I was doing, I, I believe, some reception work or something, and uh, somebody called, and I picked up, and they wanted to speak to someone, and the person wasn't there, and they said, you know, can I have your name? And I gave them my name, and they said, what do you do here? And I said, oh, well, I'm just a receptionist. And he said to me, no, 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 you're not. And I said, what do you mean? He said, no, you're not just a receptionist. You are a receptionist. Just you're belittling yourself or you're you're not, you know, uh, complimenting yourself as a person and the role that you play, because you play a very important role because you are the voice in a, on the other end of the line that represents the company. So please don't say just you know, mm. and that that's really brilliant. Yeah. me. Yeah. That's, um, that reminds me of um, a story I heard about someone in the, the NASA and the space station who was um, sweeping around in the, wherever it was, maybe it's the big area where the, they build the rockets or something, but they introduced themselves as part of the team that helps to put men on the moon or something like that. So they definitely didn't think of themselves as just the person who was sweeping up. Yes, yes. You know, certain words are so important. And even when I look back at that metaphor, and when I, I first heard it, I started laughing, and I started to try and put it into context for myself. And, you know, coming from a Caribbean, UK um, heritage, it, it kind of means it was very difficult for me to actually put it into words, but I'm still thinking about it, if I have to be honest. If your aunt had bored, she would be, your uncle. I suppose it's just saying that, you know, um, if you have a stronger, you know, if your, your aunt wasn't a, a, of a weaker character and she uh, she would be able to be more masculine. And I, I'm not even sure whether that's a positive thing. You know, we laugh at certain metaphors. Mm. But when yeah. you think if you had to kind of try to break it down and look at it literally, which a lot of metaphors they are said to be literal, but, uh, but most of them aren't really, when you look at the history of them. It, in a way, I laugh, but then if I had to think of it seriously, it perhaps might not be something that is a positive definition of it. Although what you said, that's very positive, you know, the way that you use it. Yes, and I think the other thing, I suppose, so many cultures have women who are incredibly strong and have, you know, metaphorically have balls. And they may not physically, but they're doing a lot of things, um, you know, taking a lot of responsibilities, shouldering a lot of burdens, leading the way and, you know, setting fantastic examples as role models to, to people around them. So I suppose, you know, you can think of it like that as well. Yeah, definitely. And even looking at it in terms of, um, the word balls, it makes you think that it's masculine because it's another name for a masculine part. So it kind of automatically makes you think of something masculine as opposed to something feminine. And I wonder actually where that came from, whether it was a man or a woman who used the word balls as being masculine. Yes, yeah, so it's Interesting question. I think this is an expression which is not just in English. I think it's in other languages, like Dutch, perhaps as well. So, and they, you know, they have a really strong sense of humour and love to say silly things and laugh about them, as far as I can see. When we look at metaphors, which is why, not just as a producer of the show, I learn a lot because looking into the history of where this 
quote has come up, I eagerly wait what the writers find and what they put together. So let's just see during the course of the show whether what your explanation comes up in it or my explanation, because I think, yes, it is very cultural. And like most metaphors, when they first originated, they were actually meant as something positive to have influence on. But nowadays, um, they 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 tend to have more of a negative meaning. And I think that this one, if your aunt had balls, she would be your uncle. I'm hoping that it has actually remained as a, a comical sense and not one that, you know, feminists will say, oh, no, this is a, you know, I have deep problems with this and it doesn't, you know, make the woman look favourable. I'm hoping that it's not one of those. But again, um, that's what the show is all about, trying to um, establish the meanings behind our metaphors and of course how they relate to our guests so thank you so much for actually providing one of the few positive definitions and uses of <laughs> metaphors and that's the truth <laughs> so Chantal what's happening at the moment with you and your future with chocolate well having just finished an incredibly busy Easter and taken some time out um, for a road trip then it's time to start planning for the rest of the year and Christmas. I know that sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but there's so much to be done. There's a lot of work in Grenada to build a new factory. In London, there's loads of things to be done, product development and websites and building the business, which which is a, a really new startup. I started up in the pandemic and it's a very small team at the moment. So I'm going to try and beef that up and start planning because so far the business has been really so small that we've just been running to stand still so I'm looking forward to taking some breath and trying to think ahead (laughs) plan a bit more into the future. Well of course you feel that Grenada you know is the place uh, to make your chocolate but what do you think about chocolate around the world not just in Grenada and you know in the, the Caribbean has many islands now who are looking at uh, chocolate factories, St. Lucia, Dominica, um, of course, Dominican Republic. But when we compare chocolate from the Caribbean to those, the traditional kind of areas of chocolate making, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that there is a really strong and long tradition of cocoa in the Caribbean. And over the maybe the last 50 years, the actual growing of that and exporting of that has gone down considerably for lots of reasons but on the flip side of that you've got small companies like Grenada Chocolate Company like One One Cacao in Jamaica Um, there's several people in Trinidad and as you say Dominican Republic then that's in a way a fantastic thing that there's a new movement for making chocolate in the origin so adding the value at the source for me that's one of the most exciting things that's happening this century. So I'm really banging my drum loudly about that and hoping that other people will follow. And I think it's starting to happen in Africa as well, which is somewhere that traditionally has produced cocoa and has probably much worse poverty than anywhere else in the world that that actually um, grows cocoa. So I think there's there's a big there's lots of big issues around it, um, but the main thing is the farmers not being paid enough and the land not being looked after very well, so that it can become unproductive very quickly. Well, I hope that the tides change there. Chantal, how can we follow you? Um, I'm on Instagram as Chocolate Detective, 
And I have a website, also the name of Chocolate Detective. So those are probably the simplest. I'm on Twitter as Chantal Cody. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's about it, really. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chantal. Thank you, Delia. It was really fun chatting and I hope to meet you in person one of these days. Ditto. Thank you so much, Chantal, for your unique insight. What a journey you're living. All through your life, you have shown an extraordinary courage. It does take balls to accomplish what you've done. Another proof that women, too, can have balls. For many reasons, we can now encounter some problems with this saying. First of all, if we are using having balls figuratively as having courage, it wouldn't make any sense to think a woman would be any less brave than a man. Countless times in history, women have shown to be as brave and sometimes braver than the opposite gender. Let's take, for example, Catherine the Great, Empress of Russia, Born Austrian, she went to Russia to get married to Emperor Peter III and was from that moment stuck in an unhappy and abusive marriage. Thanks to her courage and her intelligence, she led a successful coup against her husband and was crowned Empress. Under her rule, she became very popular and turned Russia into a major power. The Hulu series The Great, starring Elle Fanning, tells her story. I bless our new leader, Catherine the Great. You're calling yourself the Great? Of course. Seems arrogant. It is if you're not great. If you are, it is just calling things what they are. Right. Shh. Darling girl, there is a rumor sweeping Europe that you have taken Russia from your husband. You're my wife. You honestly can't think you can run Russia without bloodshed. I can. I'm winning. I love that you think that. He is a threat. I really, really want to kill him. Reason and compassion can win any argument better than violence. Let's just behead him like civilized men. We must act. Let us remake Russia, my friend. Everyone expects you to only last a year. I'm safe until the baby is born. It must be strange, a human creature inside you. Do you ever think, what if he has a knife? I never do. This is a dynasty. If she loves you, you will make more babies and protect the family line. You must make her love you. Should we have sex? I'd rather choke to death on this tiny chicken. I have been trying to change myself. When you are flawless. Exactly. It's time I regain the throne. And then you kill her. Imprisoned until Paul is born. You're a good dad. You're not long for the throne. I'm chosen by God. You were chosen by mail order. Ponder that. I have a busy day running Russia, the country I just took from you. Go get him! Are you kidding? That could have been me! She loves me, that is certain. Are you sure? I look at you and go dry like sand. Talking about incredible women, we can also talk about Harriet Tubman's life. Harriet Tubman was an American abolitionist and social activist. Born into slavery, Tubman escaped and consequently helped hundreds of slaves to freedom. She was also the first woman in the history of the United States to plan and lead a military raid. She is now a symbol of resistance against oppression, freedom and human rights. 
Amongst many homages and tributes, in 2016, plans were announced to add Tubman's portrait on $20 banknotes, moving the portrait of President Andrew Jackson, himself a slave owner, to the rear of the note. Harriet Tubman's owner died in 1849. When his widow planned to sell off her enslaved human beings, Harriet feared she would be sold away from everyone she loved. She had heard of an underground railroad, a secret network of safe houses, boat captains, and wagon drivers willing to harbor fugitive enslaved people on their way north. So Tubman fled with two of her brothers, Ben and Harry. They eventually turned back, fearing they were lost. But in one of her sleeping spells, Harriet dreamed that she could fly like a bird. Looking down below, she saw the path to liberation. And in the autumn of 1849, she set out on her own, following the North Star to Pennsylvania and to freedom. Tubman returned to the South 13 times to free her niece, brothers, parents, and many others. She earned the nickname Black Moses and worked diligently with fellow abolitionists to help enslaved people escape, first to the North and later to Canada. Harriet Tubman worked as a Union Army nurse, scout, and spy during the Civil War. In 1863, she became the first woman in United States history to plan and lead a military raid, liberating nearly 700 enslaved persons in South Carolina. After the war, the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution legally abolished slavery, while the 14th expanded citizenship and the 15th gave voting rights to formerly enslaved black men. But she was undaunted and she persisted. She raised funds for formerly enslaved persons and helped build schools and a hospital on their behalf. In 1888, Tubman became more active in the fight for women's right to vote. In 1896, she appeared at the founding convention of the National Association of Colored Women in Washington, D.C., and later at a women's suffrage meeting in Rochester, New York. There she told the audience, I was a conductor on the Underground Railroad, and I can say what many others cannot. I never ran my train off the track, and I never lost a passenger. As her fame grew, various friends and allies helped her in the fight to collect a veteran's pension for her service in the Union Army. In 1899, she was finally granted $20 a month. In a fitting twist of fate, the United States Treasury announced in 2016 that Tubman's image will appear on a redesigned $20 bill. Harriet Tubman died on March 10, 1913. Even on her deathbed at age 91, she kept the freedom of her people in mind. Her final words were, I go away to prepare a place for you. Unfortunately, even nowadays, women still have to fight for fundamental rights and equality. Malala Yousafzai is the perfect example of women's modern fight for freedom. Growing up in Pakistan during the early 2000s, Malala spent her childhood under Taliban control. However, this has never stopped her from expressing herself. In 2009, when she was only 11, she wrote a blog for BBC Urdu detailing her life under the Taliban occupation. The following summer, a journalist made a New York Times documentary about her life and activism. She quickly rose in prominence, giving more and more interviews, and was nominated for the Children's Peace Prize.
However, in 2012, after taking an exam, Malala and two other girls were shot by a Taliban gunman. Malala was hit with a bullet in the head, remained in a critical condition, but was fortunately transferred to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham, where she fully recovered. After her recovery, Malala became a prominent activist for the right to education. In 2014, when she was only 17, Malala received a Nobel Peace Prize, making her the world's youngest Nobel Prize laureate. Along with that, she received Pakistan's first National Youth Peace Prize and the Sakharov Prize. Some people call me the girl who was shot by the Taliban and some the girl who fought for her rights. The terrorists tried to stop us and it takes me and my friends who are here today on our school bus in 2012. I had two options. One was to remain silent and wait to be killed. And the second was to speak up and then be killed. I chose the second one. I decided to speak up. Neither their ideas nor their bullets could win. We survived. And since that day, our voices have grown louder and louder. I tell my story, not because it is unique, but because it is not. I'm not a lone voice. I am many. I am Malala, but I'm also Shazia. I'm Kainat. I'm Kainat Somro. I'm Mozun. I am Amina. I am those 66 million girls who are deprived of education. It has become the first generation that decides to be the last that sees empty classrooms, lost childhoods and wasted potentials. Being a woman has always asked for a lot of courage. Being a woman is a constant fight, a constant struggle to be on an equal footing with men. Being a woman is learning every single day how to be stronger, how to shine brighter. Simone de Beauvoir, a French philosopher, writer, social theorist and feminist activist, once said, one is not born but becomes a woman. Nowadays, feminist courage and activism still lives on, through, for example, Beyonce and her famous hit, Run the World, Girls. We can find another problem with this saying. Indeed, nowadays, the line between genders is malleable. Social sciences have now evolved and our biological sex isn't inevitably the one we identify as. Today, the binary vision of only two genders existing is expired, as the following clip explains. All right, folks, here we go. A romaine and kale salad with avocado, cucumber, shishito peppers, and four kinds of cheese. 
sprinkled in balsamic straight from Italy. Wow! In my day, salads only had two ingredients. A rock-hard wedge of iceberg lettuce and a stinky old dried-up tomato. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm gonna have to eat fast. Alex is stopping by in a few minutes to work on our robotics project. Alex, is that the girl with that weird dog or the boy with the hat with the wings that flap? No, Uncle Jay. This is Alex. Oh, okay. I remember. A very nice young... Hmm. Come to think of it, well, is Alex a boy or a girl? Actually, Alex doesn't define themselves as boy or girl. What else is there? Back in your day, most people understood the world in terms of just boys and girls. But now, we know gender is more complex than that. Wait, aren't we just talking about whether you're born with a hmm or a hee-hee? When you're born, your sex is assigned in a medical way. But the sex listed on your birth certificate may not necessarily match your gender identity. Gender identity is a person's inner experience of who they are in terms of gender, their deep personal sense of being male, female, a blend of both, or neither. And while many people have a gender identity that's the same as their assigned birth sex of female or male, that's not always the case because gender exists on a spectrum. Like transgender, which means a person whose gender identity is not consistent with their assigned birth sex. Non-binary, which means a person whose identity doesn't fall in the category of either male or female. And genderqueer or gender fluid, which means a person who does not identify themselves as having a specific gender at all. Does gender identity have to do with being straight or gay? Actually, no. Gender identity has to do with the way you feel about yourself, while sexual orientation is based on the way you feel toward others, the people you may or may not be attracted to. You know, I really like Alex, and I can tell they're a good friend to you, but I'm still pretty confused about all of this. That's okay. You don't have to fully understand someone to respect them. To start, try not to make any assumptions about a person's gender, and use the name and pronouns that they ask you to. Above all, be a friend or ally for people of all gender identities. That's right, Mom. Oh, Alex is here. Come on in. Hey, everyone. Oh, hey, Alex. Care for some salad? The balsamic's right from Italy, you know. If your aunt had balls, she would be your uncle. Even though humoristic is a saying that has helped humanity during tough times, being funny and concise, it has always helped us refute slander and false accusations. However, this sentence's efficiency has limits. Figuratively, women have balls as well. They aren't fragile little beings that men need to protect. They are everyday warriors. Moreover, our perception of gender has now evolved and our anatomy doesn't automatically reflect the gender we identify as. Thanks for listening to this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. Thank you to our guest, Chantal Cody, OBE, who enabled us to have a revision of history I know many of us had forgotten. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something new. We'd love you to share the show with your friends and please feel free to leave a review at colorful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. If you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. Join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. Keep safe and goodbye.